You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy 7. We're all about your complete cards coverage. Uh, we've got our special guest on this week. We have uh, Walter Mitchell, our staff writer from Revenge of the Birds, is joining me. And uh, we had some, originally we're looking at bringing Walter back on for another talk about either the draft or free agency before it began. And uh, the Cardinals do begin March um, with a bang. Uh, I guess you could call it a high wattage energy. Um, Walter, we have a J.J. Watt signing with the Arizona Cardinals, picking them over nine teams to discuss. And I think the biggest thing most fans looked at when they woke up Monday morning was, wow, uh, how are you doing overall, Walter? And what was your first thought when you saw that one of the you know best players in NFL defensive history, obviously maybe slightly past the ultimate prime years at age 32, but he's coming to the desert, and this is ultimately a big deal for the Cards. Yes, it is, and uh, uh, at the at the risk of sounding like a hypocrite, I um, had been hoping that the Cardinals would not sign veteran free agents towards the ed- end of their careers um, just because that hasn't worked very well for, for them in the past. And, um, you know, I like the young nucleus of the team and I feel like the free agents, the Cardinals should add, should be, should be, you know, players in their mid to late twenties and um, coming into their primes. However, I mean, we're talking JJ Watt, um, the Cardinals defense has not been the same since Calais Campbell left. That's a magical position in that, in the 33, 34 defense, excuse me, at that, um, defensive end spot, which is over the tackle. Um, because if you get a player in there who can command double teams, he keeps all the linebackers clean. And uh, or at least a linebacker to his side, which this year is slated to be Isaiah Simmons. Um, and this could act, actually skyrocket Simmons' career um, if he's kept free and clean. I mean, they're going to have to double J.J. Um, Watt in there, and then that also frees up Chandler Jones. And, you know, Buddha's lurking right behind Jones. He's always, you know, um, letting Jones be creative. So that side of the Cardinals defense is going to be dynamic. And as long as they can keep Hassan Reddick over at Sam, where he's perfect and they'll have to, you know, be creative with the cap and do something to get him signed. Um, our talent level on defense is, is going up, up, up. And so it's very exciting. And for Watt, that's the kind of exception that, you know, any team should make because, he's going to make everyone around around him better um, and uh, more aggressive, which the Cardinals need and tougher and more disciplined, which the Cardinals really need, as we know from last year, because, you know, they went eight and eight and led the league in penalties. You clean up the penalties and you play smarter, tougher, more aggressive football. Um, who knows what they can put together for wins um, and some winning streaks. Um, so this is very exciting. I, 
I was writing today on Revenge of the Birds that other than Aaron Donald, if I could have handpicked um, a, a player to put in that magical 34 DN spot, it would be J.J. Watt. I mean, it would have been Calais. I think Calais is a little older now, but but you know, bring, bring, bringing Watt into that slot seems like such a perfect fit, and I'm sure the Cardinals are are so excited about it. Yes, I would agree in a lot of the mentality I think that you mentioned, Walter, is not just even the on-field. A lot of people talk and rave about Watt as far as the ability that he has to be able to get the most out of a team, of being able to kind of push other guys. Uh, essentially, the way the Cardinals have operated is they've been able to add guys who are much more of, I guess you could say, maybe um, guys who would speak with their actions on the field maybe more than being a vocal type leader on the team. And that kind of reflects even all the way up to Cliff Kingsbury. You look at Larry is a guy who is, you know, he'll talk with people on the sideline, but he's not the kind of guy who will yell or be motivated. He's just kind of been that quiet assassin for years and years in the NFL. And you see guys that are similar in that vein in DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray that have that sort of quiet confidence is probably the best way to describe it. Whereas with JJ, you're getting a guy who is much more of the open, brash, much more of kind of a guy who will push other people. I think back to that interview that had post-game where the Texans were struggling, and he just went off of like, look, this is what it's all about, understanding there's fans that are cheering for us who can't even be at these games. We're getting to still be here in the midst of all of this, be able to play this sport for a living, and we're just not seeing effort or emphasis or attention to detail out there, and it's wrong. And he's decided that he was one of the guys to put people on blast and, like you said, kind of correct the course. And that's something that we have seen levels of for the Cardinals. But really in terms of that caliber of a, a personality, and when you add in the play on the field of a guy who plays every single snap like it's his last, who has essentially <clears throat> only been limited so far by the injuries he's gotten in the NFL and has still been on a Hall of Fame path. And it's not like when, when we talked about previously the kind of guy that we had hoped would be some of the signing for the Cardinals was a guy like Terrell Suggs. Now, the difference between this and Suggs, at least, is Suggs was a free agent. The Ravens were like, yeah, we'll take you back at least in a small one-year deal. Finish your career here with a contender. And the Cardinals essentially were like looking for this type of role for a long time. Paid a bit more as far as for the Ravens to be able to get him. And it just did not work out from the snap. It was very clear at least once the Cardinals were not going to be uh, the most competitive team. Once it was clear that they were not able to make the most once it was clear that his body had hit the limit it was just kind of like you were seeing a dead man walking out there and the cardinals like you pointed out walter in 2019 didn't really improve on defense until you took him as a liability off of the field when you're looking at the texans and the play that was there that has not been the case with jj watt as he was probably the only bright spot in a lot of places on that texans defense last year was reduced to about five sacks or so but still was out there making plays, being able to shoot gaps, and being at least a strong enough force in the run game where even though you're not going to be getting necessarily, say, um, 2015 J.J. Watt, you're talking about a guy who essentially has been leading the league in pressures, is right up there with Chandler Jones as far as sacks, 
And if this is a gamble, you'd probably prefer to take a gamble, per se, on the likes of J.J. Watt than you would, say, try to look at adding a younger player, maybe like you even talked about with Hassan Reddick, to the mix because of not just the track record, but the fact that if Larry Fitzgerald does decide to hang it up, you almost need to have that type of um, new mentality in building this future Cardinals team. Talk a bit about what do you see from Watt as far as his play on the field. Is this a spot where Cardinals fans, the biggest thing that I know, at least when we first heard about the news, and this is kind of a little insight, we heard about the news about it on Friday, and it was just like, wait, like, okay, we, we just talked about how we were glad that, okay, maybe the Cardinals shouldn't sign JJ at $15 million a year. It's a whole lot to be able to ask for. And it's like, no, no, like he's, he'd be picking the Cardinals. He probably will sign with them early next week. And there was almost a modicum of, like, not necessarily disbelief, but a modicum at least of, oh gosh, like how much of the Cardinals have we seen where they paid Robert Alford a two-year deal, he didn't play a snap for them. They paid Terrell Suggs, he was terrible. There's been a lot of aspects where we've seen guys who leave their other teams for the most part end up leaving Cardinals overpay for them. And we find out that maybe that there was a reason why they overpaid and other teams didn't. This is not that situation, Walter. There was a lot of teams who wanted Watt and he asked for his release still having quite a bit in the tank. What are your thoughts about what Watt can bring to the Cardinals on the field, especially in this Vance Joseph defense? Okay, well, let's go back to the Sug situation because we've hopefully the Cardinals learned their lesson um, on that acquisition. And it's important to how it applies to, you know, the 2021 defense. What happened was, you know, it was an emotional sign in bringing Suggs back to Arizona. I understand that. Um, but it, it, you know, it also came with a brand new coaching staff, which by then, uh, I guess Vance Joseph's prototypes for his 34 defense hadn't been clarified yet because in retrospect, it was a colossal mistake to take Suggs and you can't play him at Sam outside linebacker because he's not going to cover anyone. So he was pigeonholed, rightfully so, at the bandit spot, whereas Chandler Jones had led the league in sacks the year before. So now you're taking your best defensive player and moving him out of his best spot in Chandler Jones because he's more athletic and can play the Sam spot, right? So... In essence, you're weakening both positions, okay, by doing that. At the same time, ironically, the best Sam outside linebacker candidate is miscast and playing um, at weak in, at will at weak inside linebacker in Hassan Reddick. Now, so once finally, I mean, it took weeks upon weeks of Suggs struggling and the team struggling to you know, have him move on. But once he moved on, it was coincided with the best decision, one of the best decisions Vance Joseph and his staff have made. At that point, they said, realized, okay, we're going to put Joe Walker in at will. We're going to shift Hassan over to Sam and move Chandler Jones back to his natural position of bandit where he doesn't have to cover as much and do the, the, the kind of multidimensional things that the Sam linebacker does, okay? And in that short sample period, 
Reddick did a really good job. I mean, he was instrumental in, in the upset at Seattle, at Seattle. I mean, I don't know if you remember that game, but he was containing Russell Wilson better than anyone I've seen since what Russell Wilson came into the NFL and has played the Cardinals. Um, he just wouldn't let Russell get break contained. And that was a huge part in that game. And he also got a sack on Wilson. And that was a sort of signature win. You know, and I don't think it was a total fluke that they won two out of three at the end and the defense really came, came on because now you had guys in their natural positions. And to Joe Walker's credit, he was, he was solid at will. Um, you know, he, he was stepping up and making tackles. So, and much more instinctive than, than Hassan Reddick was. All right. So it's just too bad that for whatever reason, those games didn't sell Joseph or Kime on picking up Hassan Reddick's fifth year option. Because, you know, and then, which is still mind boggling to me, they go ahead and sign Devin Kennard to play Sam, who's not, it was clearly not the athlete that Hassan Reddick is. Right. Almost conceding, well, we we blew it with Reddick inside. We're now we're not even going to commit to him outside. I mean, Reddick, can you imagine? All right, he finally gets to his natural position. He has some success in helping the Cardinals win two of the last three games in impressive fashion. The home win against the Browns was great too. And they played a tight game against the Rams for the first time in the final game. So that was a victory and it's a moral victory. So you're ending on a, on a high. And then can you imagine Reddick? Here he is. He's finally put into the place where he can thrive. He shows that he can play the position. And yet they sign a guy that take it away from him already. And like they did Suggs the year, you know, like, Suggs adding Suggs now they they take Kennard and he's you know can you imagine how demoralizing that would be realizing they didn't pick up my option they're signing another guy to step in front of me and so I think that it's a real testament when people criticize and say oh well it's a contract year of course he played well no 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 to see what he had to go through emotionally um, and the obstacles that Reddick, I mean, week one, is he even starting? No. Week two, is he even starting? No. I mean, it took him getting in there and playing at a high level and not quitting on himself to get in there and show, hey, I'm the best Sam linebacker on this roster, and hopefully you'll start believing it. And to Vance Joseph's credit, finally he did believe it, and he stuck with Reddick, and of course, you know, no, no edge player in the NFL had a higher pass rushing grade from weeks 10 to 17 mm-hmm. than Hassan Reddick. And yes, he had the one game against the Giants, but people who are saying he's a one game wonder is that's so unfair. I mean, he, he flashed in a number of big, of big games. Um, and, and, you know, so to, and you don't get that, that high a grade on that extended amount of weeks, having one great game. You just don't. You have to have you have to stack really good games, and Reddick did that. So here's where Watt comes in. They can't make the same mistake twice, okay? Watt and Reddick play entirely different positions. 
They can't this year say, okay, well, we'll forget about Reddick and we'll, we'll do what we did with Suggs. We'll put Watt at Bandit and we'll, we'll put Chandler Jones back over to Sam Linebacker where he struggled in coverage and in and contain. And whereas Reddick is really good at all of that. So it cannot afford to do that. <clears throat> but as I was saying before, I mean, here is a guy with both Chandler and, and um, Watt. The scheming that Vance Joseph can be able to do with those two side by side and maybe a, a gap or two away is going to be extraordinary. I mean, Watt is so versatile. I think at this point in his career, he's probably even better from the inside than he is from the outside, although he's still very good from the outside. But that fits the Cardinals well because – can you imagine a pass rush in the nickel, okay, where you have Jones and Watt to the same side? Imagine them doing loop and tech stunts. I mean, it's going to be totally unstoppable. I mean, I don't know how – that's how you beat double teams, too, is, you you know, you, you run tech stunts. And then, you know, you got Reddick on the other side, and, of course, Jordan Phillips, who had 10 sacks in 2018 – and I think Zach Allen is a real is going to be inspired by all this. He was inspired down the stretch last year and played really well. And his his idol is JJ Watt. So we could see four man rushes with Reddick, Allen, Watt, and Jones. And then, you know, come week eight or nine when we get Gardick back, he factors in there. So it's really exciting. And Here's the other thing. We struggled stopping the run versus teams like the 49ers and, uh, and the Rams. Well, J.J. Watt just took the romance out of the Rams patting it off tackle play. Um, and that's, that's something that's been really um, a thorn in the Cardinals' side is defending the Rams' bread and butter plays. This adds a whole new develop, de, um, development. Um, and dimension to the Cardinals' ability to play those teams. Walter, I think it's interesting that when we're talking about the likes of adding a guy who's the caliber of Watt at 32 years old, who is still obviously out there making plays, um, he, a lot of people who are Texans uh, beat writers said, yeah, there were times last year where teams were essentially taking about and triple teaming him, knowing that the Texans were not able to get pressure without having to blitz. And you take him and put him on a spot in Arizona where, obviously, the the phrase that I like to kind of look at it is, well, people are looking at it as, um, I guess you could say, somewhat you could say, some people said this is a gamble that Arizona's taking. I feel like that you're more playing with house money in terms of the fact that we saw last year that the Cardinals overall, <clears throat> even without the likes of Chandler Jones and Chandler wasn't playing as well to start off the season through the first tour, uh, first four games. Uh, something just didn't seem like it looked right. They were finding one-on-one matchups for him, rushing four, and were not seeing him get to the quarterback even against some of the backup tackles. He goes out for the season. Uh, essentially seems like it's, a, all right, let's go ahead, have Chandler get right. Uh, was part of my thing where I felt like it was a positive. Um, you're now adding a guy in like Wad at 32, and a lot of people are kind of noticing and saying, hey, like, if this works out for Arizona, you're going to be talking about one of the best pass rushes in the NFL in a season where we saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers prove just how vital 
having a solid pass rush is to be able to make it far to the postseason and make it far in all the way to the Super Bowl where that pass rush and the fact that they were able to have a diversified blitzing scheme that still got pressure with four, you just didn't know where it was coming from. There's a lot, I think, that the Cardinals can look at and see a few similarities here, I'd say. You're talking about how, like you said, we've got Jones and Watt. Watt's flexibility to, he can run off of the edge. He is able to, and that was one of the crazy things, was seeing his productivity, despite the fact that he faced more double teams than probably anyone in the NFL, and still produced at a high level winning as a pass rusher, um, was his brother was essentially, all right, we got all these people blitzing in your scheme. You get your one-on-ones. Hassan Reddick, you're lined up here in this prime pass rusher role. You get your one-on-ones. To think about the fact that you're now not just looking necessarily about Watt and Jones as your bookends. Uh, like you mentioned, we're talking about a blitzing scheme in which we saw Isaiah Simmons produce. We saw Hassan Reddick put up double-digit sacks. Uh, you mentioned Gardeck being a guy who is super efficient. And even with Buda Baker being able to blitz, uh, I think that there's a lot that the Cardinals are able to look at of filling a huge area of finding that defensive line impact maker, which is something that John and I talked about going, all right, like if we're fixing the offense, you got to find a weapon for Kyler. You, you got to plug in someone at the running back position and find someone on the offensive line to boost the protection game, the passing game, ensure that the running game doesn't fall apart as we saw later in the year there just was not enough strength overall to get it pushes up the middle and they were really relying on Kyler with his legs this is one of those areas that does fill that gap and the fact that it's you know it's a two-year deal the Cardinals will essentially have Watt under contract uh, through the likely duration of Kyler Murray before he gets his big check it feels like it's more of a gamble worth taking because you've got the sense Walter that if the Cardinals have truly learned and they can get pressure and pass rush from a lot of places, you're saying, all right, as long as you're talking about J.J. staying healthy, as long as Chandler Jones is able to be effective, I think that you're right in bringing up Hassan Reddick because a lot now is going to be able to question on, if you got these two guys who are rushing the passer in a 3-4 defense, where are you going to be looking at your coverage from as far as the linebackers? And I think that you already pointed out where a lot of people say oh, this might be the end for Hassan Reddick, I agree with you that I think you would be wanting to keep Reddick, knowing that his ability, despite the fact that he's undersized, that's a plus in him being able to have simple coverage assignments to be able to, whether it's play man, if it's drop back a little bit to cover for a running back, to have that ability as a linebacker and that flexibility to do what he does well, which is either uses athleticism to rush or uses athleticism not to be this you know elite coverage guy but to be effective that i think will allow for these pass rushers to be able to get home and we saw that be um something that was handy last year and honestly the fact like you said of how you don't want to take your guys and move them out of an area of strength i think that being able to have three top-notch pass rushers would be something the Cardinals do get if, like you said, they slide J.J. Watt inside a lot. Maybe on first or second down you have something that's different and have positional flexibility of Isaiah Simmons. Maybe you do plan up saying, hey, we've got this easy, simplistic type of coverage ability off the edge for the likes of Redick on some of these different passing downs. And then on that third down, you're like, all right, who are you going to guard? You've got the likes of Jordan Hicks and Isaiah Simmons mugging the A-gap. 
Suddenly, Simmons drops back at least where he can go all the way back to free safety while Buda Baker looks like he could potentially blitz off the edge. And you're talking about this offensive line now has to figure out, all right, who's the running back going to double team? Are they going to double team JJ or are they going to double team Chandler? And suddenly then they drop back for the blitz. The pass rushes gets there and turns out it was actually Reddick on a stunt moving around. The running back went to the outside edge, wide open, boom, sack hit on the quarterback. Chandler Jones picks it up. You can envision essentially in a lot of ways the way that Vance Joseph's defense has been designed um, to be able to make take advantage of some of the skill sets of being able to say, hey, if we're going to have an identity as a team, it's going to be in getting to the quarterback as a pass rush, and that will help allow our defensive backs to be able to, uh, you know, if we need to put them on an island, they'll be able to know they're being supported from guys up in front and being able to force turnovers. And like you said with Redick, uh, it's kind of not to spend too much time talking about Redick versus J.J., but when there is a play to be made late in the season, Hassan Reddick was making those plays. Essentially, we gained the respect level for him that we would have had for Chandler Jones. And whether some of that is he's a natural pass rusher coming out of college, is finally used right, and some of that maybe is Vance Joseph putting him into a great spot where he gets those one-on-one matchups. Either way, I think there's a level of confidence that you have in the Cardinals' defense that J.J., as long as he's healthy, and even if, let's say, J.J. plays 12 games he's still so impactful for the time that he's on the field that I think that it's a solid decision for the Cardinals where the biggest risk will come from more of an Alford type of thing, at least. I I think a lot of fans, at least for now, obviously things change, they're not as concerned about that. So if that's the case, Walter, what's then the next step for the Cardinals looking ahead at areas like free agency? Does this kind of limit Arizona in some places or are we talking about this potentially being a move showing Arizona's here to play and the idea of trying to build maybe one of these super teams in a down salary cap year getting a bunch of other guys who are like hey I want to play with JJ Watt and Chandler Jones I'll I'll take less money knowing that if they're rushing the passer I'm gonna get my picks or I'll be able to rack up some tackles is this kind of some of the mentality that is smart or is this Arizona maybe making a mistake and not going for a young team and trying to kind of cram a bunch of this talent together to make it work. I think it's much more of the former considering the fact that I don't think that you're talking about a 37 year old Suggs or a guy at the end of his career. This is a guy who I think is still probably going to be effective for the Cardinals, at least for one year, if not two. Yeah. What's really impressive to me is how well the Cardinals players are recruiting right now. I mean, they did a, you know, full court press on, on, uh, JJ Watt, Chandler Jones did his part. Buddha did his part. Deandre Hopkins. Let's finish what we started. People forget the Texans were up 24 to nothing over the chiefs in, in, um, you know, 2018 in the playoffs at Arrowhead when all hell broke loose and they, you know, they made it, bunch of mistakes and the next thing you know Mahomes gets hot they didn't win that game but and they had won three out of the last four AFC South championships I mean they had something really nice going there and so the sentiment of let's finish what we started from DeAndre Hopkins is is legit I mean they were you know they were making strides with a young quarterback um 
you know, and it's huge too that you know Murray has a connection to, to Kyler Murray has a connection to JJ Watt, and that JJ Watt said if the quarterback um, of the team I go to will have a bearing on my decision. You know, so he's excited about Kyler. That's 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 a real boost for the whole organization, for Kyler and everyone, and for Hopkins. But you know, like the Brady situation, I think the Cardinals are in a position now to take advantage of some under the radar free agents who have connections to JJ Watt and JJ Watt isn't going to sit back passively and let the Cardinals do their, the rest of this work. He's going to be recruiting these guys um, and telling the Cardinals, which guys he wants with him where, you know, in fact, yesterday, I mean, um, JJ Watt was on Twitter quite a bit yesterday. Uh, and I noticed yesterday um, he's been trying to get J.C. Horn to follow him on Twitter. You know, the cornerback from South Carolina, which, as we know, is a candidate for the Cardinals at 16, which is fascinating to me. I don't know if there's something in the mix there or there's it just happened to be a coincidence. But, you know, I think Watt's going to have quite a profound effect on the kind of free agent interest that the Cardinals are going to get now. Um, for example, I mean, I could see this, the, the Texan center, Nick Martin, who had a bit of a down year last, this past year, although, you know, Deshaun Watson was lights out. So, But Nick Martin's always been a really good pass blocker, the center. And um, he's a zone, um, zone run, run blocking guy who, who actually I think with Kugler could be really good. Um, I don't think he'd be expensive. Then you got these cornerbacks, Garyon Conley, who didn't play this year because he was rehabbing from a from an ankle injury, um, was pretty solid in in um, in 2019. He had a 68.7 um, PFF grade. You know, he's a former first round pick and out of Ohio State. He's one of those good Ohio State cornerbacks who hasn't you know hit his stride really yet, and he's coming right into his prime. He's only 26 years old. You got, um, you know, Philip Gaines, who's 30, but, you know, he's got ties with J.J. and has played with him. He's always been a speedy, clubber guy. Uh, we've got to love having Jonathan Joseph back, um, who, you know, the Cardinals really liked his leadership at the end of the season. Now that seems like it would be a no-brainer to add Joseph back to this mix as a slot and potential boundary corner at times. And then A.J. Bouye. Um, who, uh, you know, I mean, he's only 29 still. He came up sort of a so-so year in Denver. Um, he's not quite playing at the Pro Bowl level that he was a few years back, but in the right system and, you know, played in the right ways and, you know, he could be reinvented. So those guys all right there have a connection course. Then there's the wide receiver, Will Fuller. I'm not enamored with his injury history or his ped violation, but that those two combined things might interest him in taking a prove it deal, which in that case, you know, if it's cap cap friendly for the Cardinals, you know, to take a talent like Will Fuller, who's used to playing opposite um, DeAndre, and he's a perfectly complimentary receiver to DeAndre because Will Fuller's a blazer. 
um, that could be an interesting, um, you know, addition as well. So, but then JJ Watt knows everyone around the league. I mean, he's going to have, I bet they've already discussed maybe even at dinner at stake 44 last night. Um, they might've discussed a few free agents that Watt likes, um, who he thinks would be good, valuable additions and probably wouldn't break the bank. But what I'm hoping for is one major splash on offense. Now that we have the major splats on, on defense. And for me, that would be Corey Lindsley at the center spot. Um, and um, I, he's just the way he dominated versus the Rams. Um, I want to have us get a little something of that um, for our line. And I think as much as J.J. Uh, Watt will galvanize the interior of the Cardinals defensive line, Corey Lindsley could do that for us. So, and I think Lindsley will cost us about something in the neighborhood of 11 to 12 million a year. I think if you give him the extra year, he'd probably take the deal right off the bat. Um, and then, so we've addressed the interior of the lines, which I think was 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 the top priority um, up front. And but now we got to add the two corners, um, at least one in free agency. I think we'll get Jonathan Joseph back. So there's one, and I think we could sign another. I like Sidney Jones. For example, I think he fits in the style-wise and with Buddha and, you know, the UW um, teammates that he had, um, Byron. Um, I think he'd be a nifty fit. I don't think he'd be all that expensive. Expensive. I love Brian Poole. I don't think he commands more than about 7 or $8 million. Um, I would spend that on him immediately, you know, without even thinking twice. Um, William Jackson might be a little pricey, but certainly would be a huge upgrade. A trade for, um, with the Patriots for Stephon Gilmore would be awesome. I mean, his cap is only, um, his base is only seven mil this year (laughs) for whatever reason. I also love on the Patriots, Jonathan Jones, the speedy kid from Auburn, um, who's, uh, Graded really well the last couple of years, and with their they they are so deep right now. Blake at cornerback, the Patriots are. If you know, I mean, I would give up as much as a second for Jonathan Jones. I think he's that talented. Um, he's fast. He uh, he had um, really good numbers last year. He's getting to the football a lot. Um, so, you know, it's definitely the corner. I, I I think too is I'm not as as um, you know worried about wide receiver two as I am running back one. I think running back one um, is of higher importance because as we saw with Kenyon Drake, Cliff likes to lean on a lead back, and if we're going to have someone get the most touches other than Kyler Murray, might as well have someone pretty special there. I love Najee Harris. I love Javante Williams. I love Travis Etienne. Um, any of those those three would be awesome, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not as enamored with with uh, the free agent running backs that are available this year. Um, so I think you address can address that in the draft. 
Um, and the wide receivers in the draft, I did an article uh, on Monday about the big wide receivers in this draft. It's a deep draft, good, very good wide receivers. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm also counting on, and I'm not giving up on Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk, and, and Keyshawn Johnson. Um, as particularly now that they have Sean Jefferson in, at, uh, at wide receiver coach, I'm interested to see how he can, you know, develop them. And they may have a, you know, a bit of a renaissance going on with Jefferson. But the guy I love work to pair back with Jefferson would be Jamison Crowder. We need a good slot wide receiver more than anything else, in my opinion. And it's unfortunate. I know you've written about this, about uh, Kirk's unwillingness to play the slot. And when he has, he's struggled. Um, which is mind-boggling. Yeah, it's so unique because the question I think a lot of people looked at is how much of Kirk's struggles where we thought he was going to be the slot guy, he was almost even advertised as, hey, if Fitzgerald retires after 2018, Kirk will slide right in. And Fitz is, to his credit, played for another two more years and kept being essentially a impact guy. This was kind of the first year where we just did not see that same type of impact some of it i think at least being just due to the fact that it was the kyler murray explosion in terms of realizing that he is a cheat code when it gets into the red zone of just being able to erase angles we got to see a little bit of the old larry fitzgerald on that catch against the eagles for the touchdown but in a lot of cases i think we also have seen the way that cliff's offense has worked as far as whether it's compensating to help with a young developing quarterback in not having to read defense as much and be able to just play. I know that's one of the biggest things that you look at rookies who come in, even the likes of Patrick Mahomes wasn't reading defense his first two years. He was having a lot of simplified reads and a lot of ability to just run around and throw on the run playing. And the fact that Tyreek and the fact that Travis Kelsey and some of the other offensive line they had was, it was just better than you that's part of where we saw what the talent level with Kirk. I'm not sure how much of its unwillingness so much as we've seen kind of how some of what Kyler's done as far as having a big slot was helpful. Some of it, I think was just the fact that it is going to be a kind of physical position to take hits. I think that they missed two guys from 2019 a lot more than we thought they would. And that would be the likes of Demir bird being able to run a four, three and kind of be a deep threat outside who can be a burner um, Kyler's a boundary thrower. He throws so well to the sides of the field. Um, he's not as great over the middle, whether you want to talk about height or even just finding a big target. And some of that is also, as I said, he's a guy who, if he sees one-on-one -on -one coverage, he knows that he can take risks and be able to be aggressive because he's an aggressive quarterback. That's, that's the whole point of the air raid without having to worry as much about, you know, Hey, we got a safety coming over to pick up. His goal is to avoid turnovers he tries to protect himself tries to protect the ball and he knows as long as that's the case you're going to be in just about every game you play that's something we've seen in the nfl pharaoh cooper was a guy who was able to get some separation and just be able to do well with his routes and bird was able to be that speedster guy we saw come on especially late in the year and did pretty well it wasn't like it was great but he did fine in new england kirk was kind of i think shoved into what i would at least call a little bit of the all-over type of role where he was almost expected to be the Hollywood Brown for Arizona of 
He's both a deep threat and a comeback guy, getting trying to beat guys one-on-one um, so that DeAndre Hopkins could essentially be able to work the intermediate, work the sides, and even be able to, if safeties are going to move over to try to stop Kirk, great. Here's our deep shot to DeAndre, who caught a couple of deep touchdowns once they <laughs> unlocked that after the Jets game. And I didn't feel like that it was ever Kirk's strength or that it was totally his wheelhouse. We saw some strengths where he's able to separate and get deeper and do fine. And we saw other times where there were games that it felt like he just disappeared for the most part. I'll be very curious as to if Fitzgerald decides to come back. The assumption, I think, is that the Cardinals will have a role for him, but it's not going to be a wide receiver two type of feature. It's not going to maybe even be a wide receiver three, I think it'd be much more of your Jerron Brown possession guy coming in at least and being able to play a role on the team. Maybe it's different when it comes to Fitz and he's going to want his catches or to play more or to do something different. But I do wonder at least how much of this is a uh, Hassan Reddick being played inside linebacker for Kirk. And when you move him into the slot, suddenly you start seeing Golden Tate type player. And, you know, how much of this is Kirk kind of is who he is at this point and the Cardinals, at least, are going to be looking at him much more of a guy who just was a good, solid player, but was more of a 40 catch and, you know, uh, 600 yards guy a year versus that 100 catch, 1,000 yard guy that they envisioned he could be. What are your thoughts on that, Walter? Yeah, I, I, um, I don't get Christian Kirk at all. Um, you know, I think he shows the same thing on punt returns he's got the you know not the rookie pat p but the the veteran don't want to do it anymore pat p habit of running backwards or running straight out of bounds um whereas you know the best punt returners make a you know one cut plant and make a bolt um upfield and you know that's really disappointing um you know, the Cardinals, I have to say it. I mean, think of if the Cardinals would ever get, um, you know, ballers on at every position. I mean, we just dragged down by players who just don't get after it. <laughs> and I don't know why they're enabled by the coaches. I don't get it. Um you know, I mean, there's just too many guys like that. And if you've got two guys like that on one side of the ball, the other teams are going to exploit it, and they do. And, you know, um, I mean, our our return game has been awful for too long. I mean, why? The guys back there aren't trying hard enough. They don't look like they really want to do it. They're not hungry enough. You know, um, and so, you know, we got to get a guy in there who is, and we got to start blocking for these guys. And we got to play all aspects of the game harder and tougher and be finishers, you know? So that's my goal for the Cardinals. I mean, my hope is that when we make our additions, I mean, let me give you, plant another little seed here. I mean, I, you know, I like Jordan Hicks, the person. I love hearing him talk. But, man, I've never seen a linebacker play on his heels the way that he did this past season. I mean, the tackles, he made a bunch of tackles, but it was 
this guy's running into him like six, seven yards down the field. I mean, they're not the kind of tackles that like Tanner Vallejo made where you step up into the hole and take out the running back before he can get into the open. Right. Um, plus, Hicks is not great in coverage. And, and he's a, and Vance Joseph sees him as a three down linebacker. And I know they have a history in that, but you know, think of this draft, like if the Cardinals wanted to pair Isaiah Simmons up with another amazing athlete, look at how this draft shapes up for the Cardinals at 16. I mean, this kid, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Wusu Karamoa from um, Notre Dame. I mean, if you put him next to Simmons, OMG, good night. I mean, that kid flies around the field making plays. He's not, you know, the least bit hesitant stepping up. He's got instincts. I mean, Micah Parsons. Oh, my God. Can you imagine Micah Parsons and Isaiah Simmons in the middle of our defense with a line that contains J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, Hassan Reddick, Zach Allen and Lecky Fotu, I mean, and Jordan Phillips. I mean, my goodness, how good they could be. Um, and these guys, here's another name for you, Nick Bolton. Oh, yeah, the Missouri kid. Um, from Mis- Mis- oh, my God. That player is a baller and a half. And, you know, he's going to be an outstanding pro. And in today's football, these aggressive, fast, three down linebackers. Some of them are on the smaller side, but it doesn't matter because they get to people's knees and ankles. I mean, you know, you saw Devin white. I mean, that kid's a baller and a half. I mean, and and look at our own division with Bobby Wagner and Fred Warner. You know, I mean, those guys are good, man. I mean, if, if we could somehow make some moves there and get, you know, um, more dynamic and fast, at the linebacker spots, oh, my goodness, and more instinctive. And I love Tanner Vallejo. I hope they re-sign him. I hope he gets a shot at some point because every time he did this past season, he shined. And, you know, he wound up in limited snaps. It's like the second-highest defensive-graded guy on our team behind Gardeck. Right, exactly. Um, which is, you know, I mean, I don't – which part of his success did the coaches not like? Um, but they, they're just so – so stuck on Hicks that and on Campbell. I mean, the fact that Isaiah Simmons was on the sidelines more often than not this season is just another sort of head scratcher. So agree with that. Um, Simmons was probably, from what I saw outside of Buddha Baker, just from checking, it seemed like he was. Well, there's sometimes he would be behind. At one point, I looked at him and going, "Yeah, he's probably the most sure tackler on the team as far as when it came into the open field where." You would see him just be able to take guys down. Now, granted, there were times where he ended up getting a little bit lost in cover, and it took a little while to adjust. But once he started playing more of some of the safety position and got worked in, it looked like the comfort factor improved. And I, I think that you're right in terms of it felt like that Simmons was a guy who was able to make splash plays, but the Cardinals didn't seem like they wanted to have the amount of leverage given. And I think some of that maybe you can cast it onto. Vance's guys that he'll be able to kind of trust and put into certain aspects and positions. On one hand, it's good for a defense to be able to make sure, hey, if a guy's going to be potentially baited into this sort of a play, you want a guy who's a smart veteran 
the issue I think that I agree with you at least is you have to at least be honest and recognize in 2019 Hicks had essentially I think it was a 158.3 passer rating allowed like if you threw the ball at Hicks in coverage the ball was not only going to be completed like it was going to go for a long gain they tweaked a bit of the things this year where he wasn't having to be in coverage as much but it still was an aspect like you said of when the Cardinals are looking at talent, the issue that they usually you run into is that you're talking about a team that can be top-heavy and struggles in terms of depth. And with Arizona, what we talked about was the Cardinals weren't as top-heavy once you started getting to the getting long in the tooth where you lose Chandler Jones, Patrick Peterson hits 30. They'd already moved on from David Johnson, and Larry Fitzgerald was essentially seeing his kind of returns is being able to get there diminished where at one point we went from hey you know if he gets 70 catches a year or something like that you'd have to keep the volume up to wow like is Larry gonna hit 30 catches this year and then he did and you're like oh he he did they featured him but seeing at least the level of depth I think that's where a lot of Cardinals fans are looking at trying to field a team and a lot of it comes down to I think Walter when we talk about the drafting and the profiling it's a combination of being able to apply talent, but also being able to coach up and develop young players. You mentioned like uh, kind of shifting back a little bit to the offense before we go talk about the defense and the effect of J.J. Watt may have. You talked about Corey Lindsley. He's a fifth-round pick that the Packers went and were able to develop <laughs> right now as far as when it comes to coaching. A huge aspect of the position is ultimately teaching. And you can look and see, wow, we've, we've seen improvement from places of the offensive line. You've seen guys like Humphreys be able to plug in. You've seen uh, guys be able to develop, at least. You've also kind of seen some of the limitations. Mason Cole is a guy who I think got bullied around a little bit. And at some point, you know, there's a limit to how far you can go. Because in the NFL, you know, it's uh, if there was if you absolutely could teach anyone how to be able to go into play and plug in, then some of these hard-working, lunch-pail-type guys, at least, like that, would still be around in the league. Um, some of them kind of are able to make it and carve out a career, but, like, you know, I, I look at myself and say, there is no way, no matter what teacher you give, like, you could have Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, every single type of guy, and I would not be able to play in an NFL field no matter how much I did, just because of recognizing that there's a level of talent that ultimately is innate and putting that talent in the right spot. And I think that's where a lot of people, there's not as much concern about when it comes to the pass rush. I think the concern at least is, are the Cardinals going to be able to be this solid elite defensive unit without being able to have to sign all these old, rich, expensive players? Are they going to be able to draft and develop? Because as we saw with Hassan Reddick, he was in the wrong spot for years, finally seems to find this emergent role as this modern Sam linebacker that it looked like he was going to be in 2017, spends two whole years away from it, and suddenly ends up leading the team in sacks in 2020. And seeing Isaiah Simmons make some of these game-changing plays, whether it's in special teams or at the end of the Seahawks game, and spend enough of the season on the sideline while the likes of Jeremy Chin is essentially playing the role we'd envision Isaiah Simmons would for the Panthers and putting up you know, numbers that would have been defensive player of the year worthy, if not for the fact that, you know, Chase Young went number two overall. And I think that's where it leads into with the rest of the defense. What is the confidence level that we have of, we think that the Cardinals, they'll be able to at least plug in some guys. We saw improvement from Vance Joseph. Are we hanging our hat too much and assuming that Vance is only going to 
continue to grow, or is there some level at least of aspect that, let's say the Cardinals add J.J. Watt, Isaiah Simmons comes in, fills and plays well, kind of gives a boost to the linebacking core. Are they still going to be hampered by having Jordan Hicks in coverage and the fact that if they lose Patrick Peterson and you look at the free agent market and go, I don't see a cornerback who's necessarily better than him. I don't see cornerbacks who are necessarily going to be impossibly worse. Is this a spot where we're going to be talking about the Cardinals losing faith or losing confidence in them potentially because of that limit? Or are you expecting that this is a younger coaching staff that's learning and continuing to grow and that this unit will be better as a result in 2020, even with some of the talent that we see leaving or maybe not able to be improved on as directly as we thought? Yeah, it's Everyone knows I'm not a fan of Patrick Peterson. Um, I just think he plays on his own terms. He creates double standards. If I were at safety playing alongside of him, I'd I'd get demoralized trying to, you know, um, cover for him all game long um, because we know he's not um, an aggressive attack style um, run supporter or screen buster. So teams constantly throw to his side. It's not by mistake. Um, you know, it's by design. And uh, we got to get younger and more physical. And we, we got to get, um, you know, a better um, wide range of skills going at those positions. I mean, it's no longer the case where you can just go out there and be and just cover your man and do little else. That's the other thing about Peterson that I've never understood is that, you know, all of, you know, football, even baseball, basketball, lacrosse, every defense is predicated on help because one-on-one defense is very difficult, you know, and for a while there, Peterson was about the best in the league at one-on-one coverage when he was confident and he had his legs and, right. you know, now he's, if he starts to get beat, he, he grabs and you know, he can't have that. We can't be the most penalized team in the league mm-hmm. again. And part of it is, you know, our, our D-backs just, you know, we're flag machines, uh, you know, all of them. When you lose your recovery ability at a certain point of age, and, that, and some of this I know we've talked about perhaps even correlates to we saw him have an emergence back in a – zone coverage scheme in 2018 under Steve Wilkes that was 32nd against the run. And, you know, there'd be times where you're playing that zone, teams would still even run at Peterson. And you can kind of see the combination of the diminishing skill set, but also just the fact of the matter is when you're beaten and you've got elite recovery skills, that's something that every modern cornerback has that proves it's still a young man's game in football. And when people say, all right, well, you know, he moved back to safety in a couple of avenues because the Cardinals were desperate for help on the defense. He moved to safety, got an interception. People going, hey, why doesn't he play back there? And uh, you and I both agree. Well, if teams are going to run at him as a safety. It's not going to turn out well for Patrick Peterson unless he decides to adjust and change his game. And there's no way you can ever play as a full-time free safety, middle-of-the-field type player. So I could just see it being an inevitable divorce in terms of unless the Cardinals are going to swap to more of a um, let's say that they move to more of a cover three zone type of defense, essentially saying, hey, like we're adjustable with our scheme with Vance. We know we're with all of these guys. We're going to get more pressures. Let's see if we can get more turnovers based off of it. The Seattle or even 
2019 San Francisco Niners mold, then maybe there's a spot for him. I just think overall that when you're talking about Peterson and the fact that he's a proud guy, the fact that there's a lot of teams with cap room and that he is the kind of big corner name, and even when you look at grades and everything, he's kind of the big corner that's out there. I just don't see him being the type of guy who's going to completely run it back with Arizona. And I don't think that this is kind of weird to say, but I don't think that a lot of fans will end up missing overall as the result, which is kind of just the sad thing about this is just what I think is a testament to the way football is. Like we talk about how much meaning there is and like, I want to see Larry Fitzgerald continue to go out and make plays, but I want the Fitz that caught that amazing pass in the Eagles game to be the Fitz that I remember. I don't want it to be the Fitzgerald who drops a pass in the end zone because he looks like he's about to <clears throat> take a, a huge hit. And for some reason, like he's just thinking about, you know, his kids because of the weight of the game or all the other aspects. Like I want it to be where Larry Legend, you can be able to go out with some of that positivity. And so few guys do, Walter. The emotional aspect of just imagine being a Texans fan in the month of March. You talk about you won this championship. The Astros have all this stuff that goes out from their team of all of this embarrassment that goes on where they're essentially <clears throat> punished and being the laughing stock of Major League. You trade away DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson, who, as we are recording this podcast, just restructured his one-year deals to save the Texans a bit of cap room. So he looks like he'll be returning to the Texans versus being released. But that being the case where they are immediately missing DeAndre Hopkins, it took Deshaun Watson putting up MVP caliber numbers to even keep them in games. They go 4-11. and And then Watson says, hey, I want out. J.J. Watt says, hey, I want out. Bill O'Brien gets fired. Watt ends up signing with the team that acquired Hopkins. We're talking about the fact that there's emotion. It's unusual, I think, for a lot of Cardinals fans to be the recipient of a lot of these positive emotions when we are so conditioned, I think, to being on the negative side and the negative aspect. And it's a good balance to think of also is, you know, Chandler Jones is going to age, J.J. Watt's going to age. There's elements, at least, I think, to the team, and part of being a fan is that kind of cyclical process. And I think part of where I hope, Walter, a change will come from the Cardinals is we see that because Arizona hasn't won, Johnny talks about this a lot, Michael is such a loyal guy that he keeps on a lot of the players. He has a lot of attachment to names and other aspects. I think you would love to see to get to the point where the Cardinals are able to pursue having the best team and the best organization because they're winning football games and not necessarily, hey, we're going to have a 3-13 and season, but Larry Fitzgerald's going to throw a touchdown pass to David Johnson, so buy your tickets. Because ultimately, I think that's what fans care about is being able to be established and winning. And like it does, it does take guys like Chandler. It takes guys like Fitz. Uh, it takes guys like a J.J. Watt. But I think that you're right. And it's the depth and the coaching aspect that I will be watching heavily this year to make sure the Cardinals are on the right path because ultimately, end-all, be-all, it's about talent. But it's about more than that, too. And that's why this free agency, to get back to it, I think is going to be super important. Are the Cardinals going to be able to build a winning team and a contender that, you know, you, you, you talked about uh, the cornerback market. Will William Jackson be a guy who's like, hey, I see I, I take a one-year deal with Arizona here. Cap is expanding next year. I'm not getting anything more than, you know, $8 million per year, maybe $11 million per year being offered. 
Could I be making $12 million per year if I'm catching a bunch of interceptions with Watt, Buddha, and Chandler all rushing the passer in front of me? And Sure. Let, is that something the Cardinals can sell to teams? I think the fact that they sold it to J.J. Watt is a great first step. And I think you and I are curious for what's going to be the next step as we get into March and even get into the 2021 NFL draft. Well, what's really exciting to me is that uh, what the Cardinals just did is they traded, they added a captain in J.J. Watt in place of Patrick Peterson. Because, you know, I think you were sort of um, hinting at this or, you know, kind of implying it. Um, I think now... You know, if you're Patrick Peterson, you just saw the Cardinals. I don't know about you, but I didn't see him tweeting tweets of joy yesterday um, for the Watt signing. I think it's a fait accompli. Here's why. I mean, we've heard from Michael Bidwell um, a week and a half ago on his press conference and message to the team that, you know, and then interview um, on, on Fox Radio say that, we've had discussions with our free agents and we've apprised them that this is a difficult year and they're going to have to work with us on the salary cap and have, you know, um, AKA, you know, deals that are more modest than usual. Right. So if you're Patrick Peterson, who was thinking you were going to get the two year 15 a year, and now you see that, you know, you've been told that, this is a, a different year where we have to do modest contracts and the, the Cardinals turn around and, and, you know, sign JJ Watt for 15 and a half million a year. Um, I think that kind of puts the writing on the wall because Peterson's mm-hmm. probably been told that he's not going to get, you know, that kind of money in Arizona anymore. And I think that Larry has been told that as well. He's not going to get 11.7 mil um, again this year. And I think that's weighing heavily in, I can imagine it weighing heavily in both those players' minds is that, you know, well, I've never, neither one of them has ever had a taste of free agency. I think it'll be fun and interesting for them to see who's on the phone and who's showing them some love. Yeah. I can definitely see BA, BA trying to get Larry over to um, Tampa Bay. Um, and I'd be very supportive of that. Um, you know, I don't want to lose Larry, but I don't know. It just was a tough year for Larry. And I don't get the feeling that he's as keen on the team as he was, I think some things have soured is my, my instinct. Yep. There's also, there's a lot that what to interrupt. There's a lot that I think the Watt coming in, I think may, as some people put, may kind of rectify that. Like, you know, last year people were talking about Hopkins practicing cliff as far as for how are they going to be as far as discipline went. <clears throat> what I felt in a lot of cases was like, you know, the team didn't have as much life. And if you're a, you know, coach having to push players, that's either a you problem or a who are the guys that you have. These guys can't get pushed as much. Whereas seeing the likes of how Watt being able to come in, a guy being able to essentially take on some of that leadership mantle, 
maybe that encourages Larry that the team will be in good hands for the type of work ethic that he brings. You know, like I was even thinking of the contrast of, you know, uh, last year we were all talking about, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is sitting on the sideline, you know, having a day off of practice while watching Larry dive for balls from the slot. <clears throat> and after, a, you know, the they both got veterans days off to be able to keep them in shape. Is it going to be different with Watt coming in or is he going to be kind of maybe a semi-coach? I think that you could make the argument that it could appeal more for Larry to kind of come back if the Cardinals make some of this super team come back to see if he can win, try to finish it. And then the other end, I could see him being perfectly content to be like, hey, like, COVID taught me a lot about life. I'm ready to be able to kind of move to the next phase. And maybe it's a little disappointing. Like, you think of how Adrian Wilson ended with the Cardinals just before they got back to their winning ways. But in some cases, that's just kind of how it is in the uh, in the aspect of the NFL. And I'll be curious to go on. I do also agree with you. As soon as Hopkins signed that extension, from what we see with the Cardinals – They've never been willing to essentially pay two wide receivers big money at the same time. And that makes a lot of sense. If you put so many of that eggs into that one basket, you're going to be seeing essentially eggs pulled out from another spot. I'd even argue J.J. Watt isn't essentially paying an edge. You're kind of paying an all-around defensive lineman. So by having that flexibility, I think, of paying Hopkins, I think the Cardinals are going to be moving in a different direction maybe more of a one-year shorter term type of thing but I think that was kind of what I felt like the writing was on the wall was for Larry as soon as they signed Hopkins to that big deal I kind of felt like it was almost like the Cardinals moving into a different direction and it wasn't a direction that I felt like was negative I'll be curious if you know Bruce tries to kind of snag him at least but it does kind of feel like there's some level or aspect of Michael Bidwell that appreciates that loyalty um, and, and who knows, maybe the Bucks decide well, to run it back and pull a yeah. Suggs with Larry. That's possible, uh, but I think a lot of Cardinals yeah, but, fans would be surprised by all of that. Yeah, Cardinals, you know, with Larry, I, I don't get the sense that Larry's, you know, it was a hard adjustment for Larry. He'd been the man and wide receiver one for all those years until last year. And then there were just... You know, in this offense, the way it's designed, and now Sean Kugler has more of a an input, I could see Larry just thinking, you know, I'm like fourth wheel here now. I didn't go from like wide receiver one to even wide receiver two. I mean, he went like down the line, I mean, in terms of, you know, and, and the heavy use that they, the Cardinals have of using the running backs as receivers. I mean, you know... Um, Larry, in some ways, was kind of like a forgotten man in this offense in 2020. Right. And I'm sure that's discouraging for him, particularly a guy who's chasing Jerry Rice. And, you know, I think he'd probably want to have assurances wherever he goes that he'd be at least wide receiver, too. And I'm not sure that the system here favors that for him. And I wouldn't blame him, therefore. You know, I think Larry still believes in himself, and I think that he at least fashions himself as a as at least a wide receiver too right now, which Rice sort of was at the end of his career. Um, you know, so I this offense is is perplexing because you know I I didn't understand why they didn't use Larry more in the red zone, but then again they had such success running the ball in the red zone. I mean, Kyler had, what, 10 TDs? Drake had nine. Um, 
you know, we ran the ball in quite a bit, you know, so. And Which was good. Zone... We complained in 2019, the Cardinals could not punch the ball into the end zone. Right. It was a huge aspect. They spent an off season and were able to, once they started seeing comfort level of being able to run Kyler in, adjusting for it and getting a guy like Hopkins, suddenly we started seeing play designs that worked. It was kind of a spot right. of why I've not been as upset as others were with Cliff because we get to, as Cardinals fans, we get to kind of see no. the growth process in a way. Now, obviously, there's still questions. They weren't able to run it in in some clutch situations. There are other questions about whether they were, um, like the easy one I can think of at least, is one that seemed like Kyler did not have his running ability, and suddenly you saw the offensive line not get interior push. Suddenly it seemed like they couldn't pick up a third and two or a fourth and one to save their life later in the season, which was kind of unusual given the fact that we saw a lot of creativity for the most part at least uh in other places with different formations we had the kirk end around even chris Traveler picking it up and i think there's kind of a tension that cliff feels of he doesn't want to be this full-on gimmicky offense but he also is not quite having the talent level to simply run over teams and just dominate in the passing game um and some of that is still a learning curve of you know i, I think a lot of stuff comes down to looking at the fact that he's wanted to run an offense that we see when they run it in the NFL, they have really been built for more of a regular traditional NFL offense and not quite a spread. You and I both have mentioned the fact that they're getting more and more responsibilities to Sean Kugler. Now he's essentially the run game coordinator. It's like, all right, Cliff, you're in charge of the passing game. If Kyler doesn't improve in the passing game, we're going to go out and be able to run it back, maybe bring in another weapon or two, that's going to be kind of hanging on him and his ability. And a lot of questions will then be about the direction of the franchise, at least under him, because he's shown the ability to improve and get better. But as we know, there's a limit to every single head coach. Like Ken Wisenhunt could only take the cards so far. And you and I talked a lot. There was only so far Bruce Arians could bring the Arizona Cardinals in part because he needed to essentially stop having some loyalty to some of the guys on staff and in some cases, you even see Tom Brady. Bruce like, no, nope, we're not bringing in Antonio Brown. Well, Tom Brady at least pushed for it extra. Bruce kind of relented a little bit because he had to. And suddenly you saw their offense shift to one that targeted the tight end in the red zone and got Rob Gronkowski two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. And I think that was some of the aspect of where you want to see continual growth for the Cardinals. And this is going to be a key and crucial year and that I think ultimately is going to start with not just how they fill some of these holes in free agency you know we're talking about cornerback one we talk about running back one being the biggest holes to fill because Kirk at least you've got a serviceable wide receiver two I think that's pretty much easy and clear to see I think that based on how the offseason goes that's going to be one of the harder roles to be able to fill for the long term as far as it goes, obviously the corner is the biggest prevalence now. But there's other spots like rotational guys who are going to be developmental on the offensive line or they're going to move Josh Jones in. That's some of the news that we took away. I wanted to also just point out, like you said, getting back to J.J. Watt, the biggest thing that I think is an underrated concern, you and I share it, is the linebacker spot. They're paying uh, Vivandre Campbell to not be on the team this year, pushing his salary back. They have Hicks still out there. I, even if Isaiah Simmons slides into Campbell's role and plays it well, you and I kind of agree that there's at least one spot at each level of the defense that needed help. And while they check that box with J.J. Watt, are they really going to do enough to be able to pass up the likes of 
you know, a Seahawks team that, you know, is having issues with Russell Wilson, but will probably be a much more ground and pound team next year that still has DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. We're talking about a Niners team that probably either upgrades at quarterback or for the most part gets back Jimmy Garoppolo. And you're talking about the Rams coming in with an upgrade at quarterback in Matthew Stafford and having these giant money contracts, but it's also losing out on their defensive coordinator. Do you feel like the Cardinals with this J.J. Watt deal, is this going to be a spot where you're ready to kind of be able to make more predictions about how the Cardinals can look next year, uh, maybe even in the NFC West? Or is this kind of a spot where this is first of one many boxes that they still need to check? Because that's what a lot of national commentators I saw were like, oh, you're saying they're a playoff team just because they signed J.J. Watt? I, I don't see that in this tough division. What are your thoughts on that? I think that we got to see how this offseason, you know, um, shakes out uh, because we, there are cornerbacks out there who are, you know, who take pride in all aspects of cornerback play who will be upgrades, particularly with the kind of pressure that, you know, the talent the Cardinals have up front is going to generate, you know, I mean, I don't think that Vance will have to dial up as many blitzes when you got, you know, four guys who are all fantastic. I'm a four-man rush now. That's that's like defensive coordinator's luxury is being able to get steady pressure with four rushers. To me, that'll start with trying to keep Reddick, and I, I've been a fan of signing him a longer time. So yeah. I mean, if you're going to keep a running back to one side to help out in the pass rush, you'd have to put it towards Chandler and JJ, right? Now that means Reddick. Yeah, and that's why I think it does start with signing Hassan Reddick. I agree with you. I feel I feel like with Golden, like we saw, he's an effort player. He puts it all on the line. I think he's a suitable guy who can come in. But like you and I talked about, there's so many times where he will just lose contain against the Rams, against the run. It's not that he's as much of a total liability, but his skill set at least is just he is a junkyard dog who can get after the passer, be a smart player on the field. Whereas Reddick, as far as his ability is to be able to be smoother, and once he finally got put into a type of role where he had a compliment inside of Golden, who was able to get double teamed a bit more, he showed that he flourished. I agree with you is that I think that you can find guys like a Dennis Gardeck who maybe you can strike lightning in a bottle there bring him back on a cheap deal, and be able to put some of that money toward Reddick, knowing, hey, if things go sour, we can always go back to Marcus. But I agree with you. That should be the priority, I think, for the Cardinals, is restructuring and extending Chandler Jones' with J.J. Watt signing out. We expect that to be the case. It seems like Chandler's probably going to be more optimistic about the direction of the team to be able to run it back for at least one more year alongside Watt. To me, then that means the focus should be on looking at Hassan Reddick or whatever his replacement will be because, as you said, Walter, the ability to be able to rush four, get pressure with four, and even be able to get sacks with four, that essentially is the signs of an elite defense. And then you're able to then focus on turnovers and being able to then bait guys. I think that is ultimately with the priority level for the Cardinals should go, I think, next. And if they don't re-sign Reddick, I think that will be interesting to see how they feel they address the position and the uh, the other spots moving forward. Well, that would be foolish if they don't. Uh, you can't mortgage the future with this move. You can backload contracts. You can spread it out. You, 
you, there are ways. If they want to keep Hassan Reddick, they're going to do it. And I, I think Hassan will probably be reasonable, he and his agent, um, with, a, with a reasonable deal um, to get this done. I could see four years, um, three or four at least. Um, and, you know, I mean, how many teams in the NFL now can boast we have four guys up front who have had 10 plus sack seasons. Think about that. How many teams have four guys across the board on a four man rush who have had double digits sacks? Uh, your Super Bowl winning Bucks, I think, are the only one. And I don't think that they got that even out of Vita Vea. Like, he, I think he came close with pressures, but you look at JPP. Look at Sue. You look at um, oh, they had their other defensive tackle there at least. Um, I'll have to remember. But they were the closest, and they, I think you're right, only had three guys who were there. It would be an identity for the Cardinals, which, like we talked about, we are able to see more of their identity in 2020 from what they wanted to be. This would, I think, double down on that identity by being able to say, this is who we're going to be. That makes me think that the offense, if they can bring back Reddick, and I put out about a four years. I've said about maybe $36 million, or maybe you're talking about $9 million a year guaranteed with the ability to push some of this money back into you know years, um, years four and five. That's something I think that you could do for each of those. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but no. we'll be, it'll be curious no, as far as for what will happen. Um, somewhere in the teens. Uh, um, he's too talented. I think so. It's a it's a unique off season for all of that, and I agree with you. I think Reddick would take the long term dealer contract. I think what'll be interesting is let's say that Reddick is like, all right, I want to hit the open market, and suddenly every team is like, yeah, we'll give you a one year, you know, twelve million dollar deal. We'll give you the double digit figures you want, but it's a one year deal. And he's just like, all right, do I want to bet on myself again and take twelve million guaranteed, or if the Cardinals offer, you know, thirty five million guaranteed? That the only reason why I think they could do that is because it's an unusual offseason with the cap shrinking. Then again, like you are going to be right in pointing out that if he does want to be able to kind of get paid for each of those aspects and you're already paying, you know, Chandler Jones and JJ Watt, maybe the priority of Arizona is a little bit less on their end than for us in part because they know they have a Marcus Golden in their back pocket. That to me is something that's very interesting. Yeah, but you don't want to be like cupboard bear ba style in two years right um you know Hassan reddick is a building block you drafted him in the first round for a reason you screw it up for three years now you got what you drafted the kid for it'd be really counterintuitive to put all your chips in two 30 year old players and say bye-bye sorry just not good enough um to reddick that that would be I mean, if that happens, I, I if that's the repercussion of the Watt deal, then the Cardinals are just back to living on past glories and doing their old, old, old shtick of like trying to impress the fans with, you know, a PR move of, you know, Emmett Smith or Terrell Suggs or now J.J. Watt. This has to have substance, but it has to come with um, a a strong responsibility about how to protect for the present and future. And I mean, Hassan Reddick did something very special um, and came a long way to, to do it. 
when the odds were stacked against them to turn a blind eye to that um would be just uh, i think just um really really poor business on their part um and yeah i mean everyone could say well we got jj watt but you got jj watt for two years i mean this is a time where you can wrap up reddick for I'd give them the DJ Humphreys deal. Um, you know, they didn't mess around with DJ. I don't think they should mess around. And DJ had his warts. And I, there were, you know, I mean, I think in so, some respects, Blake, the DJ deal was riskier than what a deal for Reddick would be because of his injury history. And look at how he responded. He's a captain now, and he's he said, two very good years under his belt, a much better year this year. I mean, he's peaking. He's coming into his prime. He's doing everything you want, and he's earning that paycheck, um, and just everyone's just so proud of him. And he's a real man now. I mean, he's taking his, his uh, craft seriously. I mean, that's – and you know, Reddick is a responsible, hard work. He's got the work ethic. He's got – he's got all the intangibles – that you want. I think he's a quiet kind of leader, but, but he's, his play on the field is, is just, you know, I mean, it's tailor made, you know, finally, finally we're playing a 34 defense in somewhat of a way of how it's supposed to be played. Right. And with, with a much better sense of prototypically who, what kind of athletes you want at one at, at each position. And so I think we can we can acquire two cornerbacks for under ten million combined, who combine with uh, with plus Jonathan Joseph, who combine with Byron Murphy. The four of them could be outstanding this year because you know who, who has the luxury of having you know four ten plus sacks a season guys on the same lineup. I mean that's going to be. Right. Awesome to play. I, I mean, I could see cornerbacks right now saying, "I want to come to Arizona," um, you know, uh, and and because I want to be the recipient. I'm on the back end, pop ball hawking while, you know, we know we're going to get pressure on the quarterbacks. So, you know, it's I, I, I really think they, if the plan was to just throw money at Watt and then get rid of a guy who gave you all he had last year and showed he was brilliant at times, you know, um, and really yep. solid in others. <laughs> I mean, oh in this gosh, division, yeah. do you have to cover running backs out of the backfield? Hello. Look at the Rams. I mean, look at the, look at the 49ers. They've killed us with Mostert and, you know, Jeff Wilson, on simple circle routes that a J that a Hassan Reddick can, can cover in his sleep. But if you, we keep putting slow guys at outside linebacker positions who can't cover, we're toast, man. Other teams will know it and they'll exploit it. And, you know, if we keep, if Jordan Hicks stays, he, if he's not improved in pass coverage, he ought to just come out on, on nickel, you know, I mean, I, they've got to do something, but they got to get, they did make strides this past year. They're a little more stickier. They got off the field more on thirds down, third downs, um, you know, but, but just get, 
Cardinal fans sometimes, I think, get caught up in the star factor is you don't need stars at every position to win in the NFL. I mean, you need just solid guys. I mean, how many how many football fans could tell you right now the secondary of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yeah, most people would forget about that. Yeah. Does, does anyone even know? Carlton Davis is one. Sean right. Murphy. Bunting, like The experts Carlton. know, but they spent and invested a ton of draft picks and the fact that they also then said, we're going to have a veteran-type pass rush. They got Shaq Barrett on a cheap deal, brought him back to kind of run it back with him. He may get franchised, or maybe he leaves to a new team. They work out a long-term deal and keep Chris Godwin. But they did a great job of understanding, hey, we need to invest heavily in our protection for Tom Brady, and we need to invest heavily in our defensive back so we can have coverage in the back end and a protection for our QB. And I thought that was interesting to look at the Cardinals they invested in their linebacker position. They invested uh, in their wide receiver position because they didn't have anything there. Bucks were already pretty much set there for the most part. B.A. came and they added another one um, just to get the luxury of having two linebackers all over with Devin White and Levante David. And you see how when they had Ter- Tristan Wirfs fall to them and they had the, uh, the crazy kid, I believe it was Anton Winfield Jr. fall to them, they ended up kind of seeing enough pieces to push them over the top. And I think that kind of leads us, we head to kind of the last part as we wrap up today, Walter. I think the big question overall is, a lot of fans are wondering, is there enough confidence in the likes of Steve Kine being able to run this ship and Cliff Kingsbury to not just adjust this learning curve, but to kind of continue to push it where Kyler Murray is one of the guys who's not having to single-handedly carry this team and this offense next year with him and DeAndre Hopkins. It seems like we've seen the evolution as they've added talent. We've seen Cliff be able to change and evolve and improve in some areas, but we still saw the team all too often either get killed due to lack of discipline or see guys like Mason Cole essentially get run over. We saw enough aspects where a lot of fans, I think, are questioning, are Kime and Cliff in the best position? And that's why I think a lot of people look at this and say, this is just a win-now year for this Cardinals brass. And I wanted to know kind of some of your thoughts on that one is, do we have enough kind of trust in the level of the likes of Steve Kime to be able to uh, find the right players? Do we trust this coaching staff to develop the right players? Because it feels right now that when you're talking about eight and eight type seasons, especially with those last two brutal losses where the team just showed up ready to make the playoffs if they could win one of their last two games and they showed up lifeless and we saw the decision making from Kingsbury of not finding a suitable backup quarterback. Some of that may be on him. Maybe that's on Kime. Is this combination one that Cardinals fans can have a lot of their faith in as we see this excitement over the likes of J.J. Watt joining the Cardinals and getting Chandler Jones back and having the optimism toward a third year of Kyler Murray? Well, I'll start with where I left off with the Tampa Bay secondary. They drafted all four of those guys. Anyone ever heard of Jamel Dean? No. He played great. Antoine Wingfield? highest uh i think pff grade of any rookie um they drafted him whitehead jerome right whitehead um played great in super bowl um carlton davis um jason light drafted all four of those guys now get this blake we're one guy drafted away from from doing the same so we got byron murphy and don't give me that crap that he's just a slot corner because he's not 
Agree. I, I Agree. refuse to believe that. <laughs> okay. So let's just put that to bed. All right. So you got Byron Murphy draft pick second round. We have Buda Baker draft pick second round. We have Jalen Thompson draft pick fifth round compensatory. I mean, fifth, fifth round um, supplemental, right? We're one player away from doing what the Bucks did. I mean, we, we are going to, I think, draft a cornerback at some point this year, maybe even J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertain in round one, or, you know, Elijah Molden or one of those good Greg Newsome um, in round two. I mean, or, and there's some good corner prospects in round three um, that, uh, you know, this kid Tay Gowan from, from Central Florida is a, is a real sleeper. I mean, he is, he's very, very talented. He's got length. He can play. So we're, we're already one player away from being able to match that. Now we've addressed the inside of the line with JJ Watt, and this is how it's going to carry over to the other side of the ball. Just saw that he's in Watts presser. He said he laughed at the picture of him and, and Tyler when Kyler, when Ty, Kyler was a senior at his banquet at, um, you know, Allen high school, um, laughed at the pick and said it was the first time he met Kyler Murray. But then he said, look, he's been a winner at every stage of his life. And that's not a coincidence. And that's a part of the reason that I'm here. I told him yesterday in a text, I said, I'm here because I believe in you. Now, how many guys, you know, come into an organization and are already firing up his own guys on the other side of the ball, right? So, I mean, that's... Oh, yeah, like even even Fitz for that one. Like, there's always a level of respect for Fitz, but that's like the type of external and motivational leadership that we talked about that the Cardinals, we just have not seen for quite a while as far as that and that's why part of this leadership caliber is so exciting for people right and 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 what said you know they were like i i read this too quickly while i was you know um checking the, the feed he said you know well what about you know how far away um you know are the cardinals from competing in the super bowl and what said um well how many months is it to the season? <laughs> I mean, these guys want to win. And what, what Watt's going to find out is the, the, the real guys who are hungry to win on this roster are the young core. These guys get after Chase Edmonds. He is a baller, man. He is, you know, Chase Edmonds, um, you know, DJ Humphreys, Tyler Murray, um, you know, I even think if you give Andy Isabella a chance, he's going to prove to be a baller. And he's still, he was the highest rated blocker, run blocker, wide receiver this year. He sticks his nose in there. That kid can ball. Yeah, that's he's a 5'9", 180 pound him. guy who's blocking Same there. So that's. <laughs> I know. And, and he, he's got, he's really got, you know, a baller's mentality. You know, he, and they're sneaky guys like, but guard it. Yeah. As opposed I was going to say, just Trent Sherfield, I mean, another one of those guys, guys he's a free agent. Young yep, players, yep. look at Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is now with J.J. Watt in front of him and Chandler Jones to his side. Oh, my goodness, this is going to be a springboard for him. He's going to love football in Arizona. Um, and what a way to transition into his first full year starting. I mean, and you got Byron Murphy. I love that kid. He's got a he he's got a baller's mentality. That's why he's not just a 
a slot corner. In fact, I I signed Brian Poole and put Murphy on the boundary. Um, have Poole play the slot. He's he's a little quicker and faster in the slot. He can cover more types in the slot, in my opinion. But you've got this young nucleus of players. You know, I think Josh Jones is going to be good. I mean, I don't get the let's move Josh Jones to guard. I, I don't get that at all. I wish they'd stop. You know, everyone's, you know, these Cardinal coaches act like they don't even know what they're getting when they get these players. I don't know if they're even involved in the recruiting process or the draft process. So now they're just handed these players and suddenly they're trying them at all different positions. Why can't you just lock in, you know, know who you're drafting from day one and get them in that spot and groom them and get them ready and get them in there to play. And like they should have done with Mason Cole, there is no reason why Mason Cole shouldn't have started in, in year two. Unless you you've got Matt Paradis or something, someone you know, someone proven to come in there. I mean, it, it just makes it's just mind-boggling how they they you know impede the development of these players by either su- constantly suggesting they might be better off at other positions, or they they don't stick with a player long enough at a position, or they grow impatient, or they're just so heavily reliant on older veterans who were, you know, not that great or don't try that yeah, hard. That's a Cardinals aspect so that all, really I depends think. on, like, what you're talking about, development. And like you said, the young players like that, it's part of why the draft is so important. Part of why you look at how the Cardinals have operated in the past has been concerning to people like me and John. Um, it's encouraging, like, even just seeing, like, you mentioned Byron Murphy and Isaiah Simmons. Those two, there's been videos on Instagram. They're basically working out together in the offseason, essentially trying to build some of that bond, recognizing they're going to be having to take on new type of leadership roles. And I think it's that sort of hunger of being able to pair the hungry veterans with the start young players versus some of the draft process. In the past, the Cardinals, you'd almost find these either entitled players who would come in. Obviously, you think at least of Kimdichi in this aspect. And I could even point to... Um, they did mess up some things with Jonathan Cooper, but in some aspects it was like, you know, it just seemed like that he was a different guy that they got than who they thought he was when they scouted. I think that a lot of that does come down to if the personnel department is going to be able to move toward the future, they're going to have to be able to have a staff that knows how to be able to win, can learn how to win, and players ultimately, I think, who've got that urge to win. And that's part of why I think Watt is going to be an awesome addition. Um, you even mentioned the impact that he can have on a guy like Zach Allen, some of these other young things. Football teams, ultimately, even though the stars are a lot of the times the ones who win the game, if you keep the stars on the field and take off those quality role players, look what happened with the Kansas City Chiefs with three-fifths of their offensive line gone. Suddenly, the entire team just broke down, and this world beater that we have seen as soon as they lost Eric Fisher suddenly just gets trounced for the most part in the biggest game of the season and a chance to run it back. So that's where I'm hoping for it. We'll probably get you back at least, Walter, later to go over some other draft content, uh, and I'm looking forward to it in the future. We're about to enter free agency. Obviously, we'll have a lot more for you on Revenge of the Birds. Um, if you had to pick as we head out today, Walter, what would be one free agent signing that you would at least pick or think of? I, I've leaned toward this idea of, as much as I like Corey Lindsley, I wonder if the Cardinals, and speaking with this young edge, with this air raid, I wonder if there's a possibility that 
Arizona could look to the likes of Alex Mack on a one-year type of deal, bring in someone who's older but a steady, signifying presence to kind of take over, man the position, and then draft Creed Humphrey and target him, the guy who was Kyler Center in college, spread offense, guy who is very versatile in his blocking scheme and is unlike uh, Mason Cole, has a higher level of functional strength to man that position. If they went down that type of a path, I could see that being one of those, like, all right, super team type approaches. Mac is still playing at a high level. But it doesn't offer you maybe the same security overall that Lindsley for a few years and then maybe adding another developmental guard in the draft or seeing if you can get another guy to sign what was one of your things as far as the next maybe kind of splash that you could see the cardinals making or is it even going to be a splash at all well my answer to that is Corey lindsley i mean i think solves so many issues when have the cardinals ever had a dominant center i mean i've looked back at at Sendline is my favorite in modern, the modern era. And he was an undrafted free agent who played his heart out. I, I, he was undersized and really never dominant per se, but he was solid and gritty. Um, a dominant center, you know, galvanizes. I mean, look at the two centers in the Super Bowl. I mean, those guys, Jensen and, um, you know, um, and uh, who's the center for the Chiefs again? I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, those Kelsey, or no, Kelsey's with the with the. Yeah, it was a backup, team. I believe, for the um, uh, for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah. One of that was part of the reason why it was, and this is kind of a weird thing. Whoever has the best offensive line and defensive line wins in the playoffs is usually how it goes. Hmm. But the center position is so critical. Plus, the thing about Cole who's never grown on me is I don't like his snaps. I, I you know, I think he's pretty good. I think he's pro- he's better suited to play guard. I would agree with that he's better suited to play play guard. I like Galliard better. Um, I like that kid. I think he's gritty and tough. I think he could be pretty good, but for whatever reason. You know, at least Sean Cooler said we'll open up the competition. But I think if you sign a Corey Lindsley, that's the big slash, this big splash move. I think that, you know, you've now addressed both the interior lines where you need to get stronger up the middle. Um, that would be a huge signing for the Cardinals. Plus, you have, you know, his kind of experience, and it would be great for Kyler. But uh, I, uh, you know, I, I would love to see the Cardinals if they were going to make one splash of a signing otherwise, um, you know, I mean, and dreaming is free. I'd make the Steven mm-hmm. Stephon Gilmore trade. Um, oh, I would yeah. even trade our first rounder for him. Now the, the mm. danger with that is he's in the last year of his deal, but it would be contingent on, you know, him playing at seven mil this year and then knowing he's getting a, you know, a, a, a good contract on the back end. Um, that would be a yeah. coup. Now, I, don't think he'll, I don't think he'll cost that much as 30 years of age. I highly doubt he would cost anything as far as a first round pick. I, I know John has talked about Mar- Marshawn Lattimore as far as his younger age, because you could look at Kyler and say, all right, we got a rookie quarterback. We can extend him. I wouldn't be shocked, at least if the Cardinals do. Now, they do obviously have, uh, again, 
limited amount of draft picks this year, but in cases of where you're trying to build one of these type of teams and how limited it is in free agency, like, I, I agree with you. They traded a second last year for DeAndre Hopkins in a pretty weak overall free agent class when it came to wide receivers because for weeks we talked about CeeDee Lamb potentially being a guy who follows Kyler and they ended up getting essentially the uh, NFL version of Lamb in the NFL right away with Hopkins. So, but yeah, that's great. Lindsley's one. I could see that definitely being the case as far as Stephon Gilmore. Um, anyhow, we have to get going for today. Um, I've got some place to run to. I don't want to keep you too much longer, Walter. It's just a pleasure always being able to have you on and get your opinion. Why don't you let our followers know where they can find you on Twitter? Okay, and I'm going to make one more, one more uh, little oh, yeah, quick statement about J.J. Watt. Quote, I mean, I saw his uh, old, you know, he's always been involved in the, the running um, um, Pat's run, Pat Tillman's run. You know, this guy is such a such a great guy for the community. And he's so, so he said today, I've obviously long been a fan of Pat Tillman. What he stood for, who he was, and everything about his legacy is unbelievable to me. So to be walking the same halls that he walked, and see his locker today was special to me. This is a guy who's got his heart and mind in the right place. And this is the kind of guy I think that can make everyone better. So I think it's this is really, really exciting. He gets the history. He's already saying Red Sea and the Bird Gang. He already has a feel for the organization. Um, it's just very exciting. So. You know, there's nothing wrong, Carlos fans, with getting a little excited. That's what my brilliant coaching mentor always said. And, you know, I know we're all Cardinal fans and we're nervous. And, you know, Murphy's Law, no offense to you. <laughs> like, it's not, it's, not, it's, it's not your law. It's some other Murphy's. But I know how that is. But, you know, let's just try to enjoy this and let's re- take it for what it is. It's. It's a real, real boost for the Cardinals. And if you want to follow me, and uh, I'm at WBJ Mitch uh, on Twitter and, of course, at Revenge of the Birds. Thank you, Blake. It's always an honor and a joy to talk Cardinals with you and Johnny and, um, and you know, spreading the ROTB love. Um, and, as always, my appreciation to our captain, Seth Cox. Absolutely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Follow the pod at ROTV Pod. Thanks again so much for joining, Walter. Again, uh, Cardinals at a high wattage guy. We'll be uh, seeing how that plays out into the rest of the 2021 offseason as Arizona makes their big push to get into the playoffs in a critical year. Thanks again for joining. We'll be back with more coverage and go Cards. <laughs>